Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for another episode of Adventures in Careerland. Welcome back to our final episode of Adventures in Careerland for this season. I'm your host, Mr. Adriano Magnifico. I'm a career consultant in the Lurie-Riel School Division. It's always a little sentimental to have the final episode of a season, but it's also that time of year where we stop, we finish, and then we'll reflect on and we come back next year. But we're going to have a doozy of a program for you today. As always, we are broadcasting generally from the Lurie-Riel Arts and Technology Center. That's the place with 13 applied learning and technical programs. One of those programs is the Broadcast Media Program, from which this program originates. And I am ably assisted by student producers in that program, one of whom is Akira Sakaki. He's with us today. How are you, Akira? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm very good. And we are not broadcasting from the studio, which is very cool with all kinds of Star Trek pads and and control panels that light up and do wondrous things. Feels like you're in Christmas. We are from our home studios in places where we do not have to be together because of our COVID outbreak, our COVID. And Manitoba doesn't seem to be doing that well with the COVID. I see it drives me crazy. I watch hockey games and I see these packed arenas and then I watch the Montreal game and Maybe we'll let two or 3,000 in. Breaks my heart. So, Akira, how are you doing with COVID right now? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I think I'm holding up. Yeah, we're getting used to it, aren't you? And uh, have you signed up for your second vaccine yet? Uh, No. I got my vaccine relatively uh, recently. So I got my vaccine towards the end of May. So I'm still kind of got to wait a little bit. But yeah. Yeah, I think that's the key. Eh? We've got to get vaccinated before these variants take hold and start mutating. It sounds like a science fiction horror show. We've got to stop them before they mutate. Captain, we've got to get more vaccines in us. But we just we just kind of slowly plot along here. Manitoba's a little behind, I think. Would you agree with that, Akira, or not? Uh, yeah, I would think so, actually, because it's it's weird to say. But yeah, we're I feel like we're not getting enough I know they're doing like as, as great as they can, like they're going as hard as they can when it comes to vaccinating, but it feels like we're not getting enough vaccines in arms enough, like as quickly as we can. Yeah, it's weird, yeah. isn't it? And and we yeah. already had a chat about the anti-vaxxers and such. We just don't get it. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, um, you know what? It's for the public good. And hopefully by the by next year, we'll be walking around, greeting people in the streets, hanging out on porches and cafe patios. I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. You know what? Today's program and Zoe, Zoe can't be with us today because she is super busy. It's the end of the year. So we've given her a break. We've given her a break and allowed her to get on with her life. So Akira, it's me and you, baby. We're, yes, we're bringing it home. But luckily... Yep. Luckily, it's just not me and you, which will kind of bore the whole airwave. We have a special guest today. He is Tyrone Taze. He is a student teacher at Nelson McIntyre Collegiate. But this guy's story is amazing. And uh, we met in an innocuous way, and we'll, we'll talk about that a bit. But Tyrone, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. It's pretty cool. Now, we met because I happened to be in a building making frames do you remember that? It was just last week. Yeah. 
and and you were a machine like you're in the uh, uh the practical arts and you're doing some some uh, student teaching in practical arts and you uh, kind of organized the whole thing i'd still be there working on those frames it's not for tyrone he has that kind of special <laughs> gift of organizing things and and using technical tools so that was much appreciated sir i thank you for that and so that's the weird way we met but as we were chatting and putting these frames and mats and certificates all together for this program i run called the skills credential in the, in the division i learned a little bit about your story and i thought that's amazing man like where are you from tell us where you're from tyro just uh and get and we'll start talking a little bit about your background so i'm from uh altona manitoba which is an hour south of winnipeg right at the border um, yeah, so that's where I grew up on a little, uh, 10 acre yard with a uh, hundred acres of land around it and on a little farm there. Yeah. Pig farm. That's pretty cool. And I, I love the whole pig farm. It sounds so cool. It, uh, it's, it's, it sounds like you, you were in a different world. When you say you're at a hundred acres, when you were a kid growing up and you had a hundred acres, what did playtime look like to you? <laughs> yeah, well, it was airsofting through the, in the, in the back bush there it was swimming in the back ponds um flying kites on the runway my dad was a, a pilot so we had a little runway in the backfield so oh my gosh uh, yeah and drive tractor old massey ferguson and mow the mow the back runway in the field uh, as he at a young age it was fun so Lots how long did it take you to cut the grass out there Oh my goodness. Uh, if you were to cut the whole yard, like seven or eight hours, probably. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my God. So I guess you didn't want to get the tap on the shoulder, right? Hey, uh, Tyro, it's time to, no, no, not cut yeah. the grass. No. Yeah. Thankfully, thankfully I had uh, four other siblings to help share that workload with. So That's crazy. That's fantastic though. It's a different world. Would you say different world when you're in that environment about, do you, do you have a different appreciation of the environment? seeing the nighttime sky all the time and the beauty of that? Absolutely. I, I would say maybe the the noise is probably the biggest thing for me. As uh, living in the city, I'm, I'm coming to my end here, but and it's been a great experience. But the, the car noise that I get here versus just the, the wind in the trees and just that, that peace and, and then, yeah, a nice calm evening with the stars lit up, it's, it's, it's very different. It's, I value yeah. it a lot. Yeah. You know what? That's an awesome thing. Uh, it's hard, but we... I'm a city dweller, you know, I like the smell of concrete. So when I go out to, no, I really don't. We'll, we'll go in the outskirts just to catch the stars sometime, or we'll mm -hmm. come out in our area. I live in a big playground with, or an area with a big playground and the stars are out. You know, the kids that I will in the old days used to come out and look at the stars, but nothing like we, what you would see this kind of litter of stars everywhere. And it's uh it reminds me of the old Walt Whitman poem when he said, uh, when he's talking about the, uh, you know, um, I think uh, it's called the learned astronomer or something like that. But he talks about in this poem very quickly. He's in an astronomy class and um, the professor is talking about the numbers and the angles of the stars and the distances. And he was taking all this down and then he just walked out of the room and he looked up to the sky and just felt its wonder. And you saw the great contrast between, you know, when we try to turn it into something mechanical and practical versus just the wonder and the sensory perception of feeling those stars and being feeling so small among them, right? I sure I bored you with a bit of a poem, but I'm an old English teacher. Sorry <laughs> about that, Tyro. But that's, you, so I, I, I like to talk about that because you come with a different perception and then, then you come to the city. But when you were out there as a young man, like you're a teacher candidate right now, was that mm -hmm. even on the horizon? Were you thinking about that? I'll share a little bit of a story, maybe, if I may. Right on. Absolutely. Okay. 
So me, I, I had two, two brothers, two sisters. And my other brothers, they were more mechanically inclined than me. And uh, I always thought that that meant that they would take over the farm one day. And then uh, as, I'm, as I'm going along and I, I see a sick pig and I, I tell my dad about it. And uh, being the youngest brother, again, like I never thought that uh, I never thought that the farm would ever be mine to, to have one day. And then my, my dad said, you know something? He said, the, your ability to see um, uh, these pigs and, and, and see uh, uh, inconsistencies and, and pick up on, on, uh, on what's going on with, with the animal. He said, that's something that your brothers can't, can't do. They would never have seen that. And I thought that was, that was the first time maybe I got that little bit of confidence in myself that uh, uh, I had my own angle, right? Rather than working, tinkering on motors, that's what I was good at. And so I think that there's always been something there. Um, I, I like people, relationships. Um, uh, that's always been uh, my number one. So I think that I didn't really put connect those dots originally, but yeah, for sure. Um, uh, there's always been that part of me that just um, that could see things in people, I guess, and 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 animals to to draw a comparison. That's amazing. So you're you're like the pig whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're the horse whisperer, the dog whisperer, all kinds of things, right? But that's that's a special thing your dad told you. And I, I always talk about those experiences. You said it helped you kind of connect some of your dots because Akira and I always talk about this. Akira, do we talk about connecting those dots? Akira, you're well, with yeah, us. definitely, all the time. Like, we, we nonstop, it's always about the dots and, like, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You have to look back. Yeah, and we kind of collect them. I've added this other piece. I just wrote an article for... Um, newspaper just about the tap on the shoulder like sometimes people tap you on the shoulder and say by the way taro here's a special little insight you may not have seen before your dad did that did you even imagine that in yourself or had that perception no not even a little isn't that cool i i, I call that when i do career development the tap on the shoulder where someone just alerts you to something and it may change your perspective did it change your perspective when your dad told you that oh yeah absolutely and it, and it gave myself some confidence and it allowed me to maybe see, uh, see and start looking for, for that in myself, which I never would have uh, given myself that value before. So it was awesome. So did you work on the farm then? Did you continue with the farm? And that was your life for a while? Explain, talk about that a bit. Yeah. So um, like we ended up losing the farm when I was in, in grade 12, or I should say the, the, part, the hog part of the operation. But until then, it was um, get up early in the morning and you'd put an hour or two of chores before school. Um, my dad said that we were more work to uh, <laughs> to train than it was actually help for the first number of years. But once we got a little older, of uh, that, uh, yeah, no, then uh, he got to sleep in a little bit, and we'd get to, in the barn and we'd smell like pig manure all day at school, and then we come back home. Maybe we so, so the sports. girls were all over you then. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We smelled like uh, Irish Spring bar soap and uh, pig manure. So if you're into that, then yeah, <laughs> that's spectacular. Oh, that's great. Yeah, no. So then um that was uh then the day chores. So in summer we would we would work till till three. We go to my grandma's for coffee was the routine. Or after school, we'd get back home and then we would do another hour or two of evening chores. No, and was, then, was uh, grandma out on the like were you all living on the farm, different houses around the farm and such? Did... Uh no, she's she's in town five kilometers from the farm. Okay. Um she okay. grew up there, so sometimes she'd come by, but yeah. Yeah, tight okay. family. We we're a very tight family. So you worked on the farm, busy looking. It was a purely a pig farm, or did you have other crops and those kinds of things? Yeah, on our farm, we were we were pretty much purely a pig farm, uh, just like a, a, hun a small 
hundred acre piece of land and then a couple cattle and some chickens, like nothing, nothing major, but. Okay. okay. And that yeah. was pretty lucrative. Was that, a, was it lucrative being a pig farmer? Like, um, like, was it a good living? I guess like you, where you felt satisfied. This is a great way to make a living. Oh, in that, in that aspect. Absolutely. Um, it was, it was terribly much fun growing up working, working with, uh, my family and my dad. And like, you didn't have anybody else really telling you, uh, what to do or anybody else's expectations. You got to get creative and find the, the best way to be productive. And also we were very different than the stigmas of how people, how people think animals get treated. And the reality is the better you treat an animal, the better it treats you and, and your bottom line. So it was, uh, there's a lot of pride in it too. And it was a very good, um, yeah, no, it was, a, it was, a, it was, a, it was an awesome, awesome way to grow up. And it allowed me to learn so many, so many different things as well. What was one of those big learnings? Well, to figure out things for myself, one of the things I really valued um, is that uh, rather than always just telling us what to do, or, or if I asked my dad, can I do it this way? He wouldn't tell me, no, this is the, it's, this is the way to do it. He would always say, okay, um, let's try it out. And then we're going to reconvene after. So I would go, I'd go try my own thing. And then two things would happen. Either I would mess up really bad and I'd go laughing. I'm like, okay, I understand why we do it your way now, or maybe it worked. And then my dad would say, okay, great. Now you can do either way you want. Like it's, it's good that you, it's, we're, we're open to this. So it allowed me to, rather than just following orders to um, develop those thought processes of how to do things. And it was, yeah. um, and develop those skills. It was awesome. And those problem-solving skills, right? Like you yeah. exercise your creativity all the time. It's funny, you're, you're Nelson McIntyre, and they really pride themselves on their project-based learning, right? Mm -hmm. You lived it. You were living. What they're trying to do, you did as a young man growing up. So what you bring to the table and to that building must be immeasurable. And when you look at what they're trying to do with their project-based learning, do you connect to that and understand that and get it more intrinsically than perhaps someone from the outside might? Absolutely. Yeah. And then I, I realized that it, you have to learn how to learn. And you, um, you asked me earlier in this podcast, um, did that like connecting the dots, my dad talking to me, did that make, um, did you see something after that? And that's exactly it. it. It's rather than, rather than teaching isn't black and white. It's not telling somebody how to do something and then having them, having them re reproduce that it's, um, it's inspiring them and, and giving them, giving them suggestions and allowing them to, to make some of those connections. So if you guide and you allow a student to get excited and have that autonomy and make decisions and figure it out, that level of learning and what a student will remember from that, um, from that angle or that tactic, it's, 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 it's immeasurable and it's, yeah. And it develops those soft skills that are often uh, unseen rather than just, just memorizing facts. So. Oh, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And you've got the right mindset. If you bring that mindset to schools, I can tell you, having a little experience in the education industry, you need to tell these stories when you, when you are interviewed, because they're going to ask you some questions about what you know. I would talk about, I've been a project-based learning person all my life, okay. and it's intrinsically a part of who I am, what I do, how I problem solve, and how I view the world, because it sounds like you've been brought up in that environment. That is so, that is so inspiring the kind of life. Now, the pig farm died. It was lucrative because you could make. When pig prices are up, must be a good way to live, right? But yep. I think you mentioned to me the pig prices went down. What makes, for the edification of the general eight or nine people who <laughs> listen to this podcast, uh, <laughs> what what happens to a pig price that makes it go down? Okay. Um, and talk a little bit about that process, just about, okay, well, what do you do? How do you get this stuff to market? What do you do? And how do you... 
how does money move and and what's the flow of money and that kind of thing? <laughs> it's a that's a very uh, it's a very complex answer if I'm being I, honest. I know, but I know. I, I can know. give you a, I'll give you a very quick brush of what affects the monetary aspect of right. it. Okay, um, okay. So NAFTA agreements mean we have to sell to the states. So uh, if the dollar is par, which it was at the time, um, we don't make the extra money on converting uh, American currency to Canadian. So that could be a thirty yes. percent hit, right? Yes, if, uh, yes, yes. That coupled with H1N1 was a thing, and there was misconceptions about how people were getting it from pig meat. Um, so then that tanked uh, the prices. And then, um, and other than that, um, just the natural ebb and flow of, I guess, sub- supply and demand of meat products and the, the middleman taking too much of a cut and uh, not honoring contracts for small pig farms and basically pushing small farms out by, uh, because you can't go to court with them when they don't pay you the contract price when it's high and then when it's low, then they want to take everything for free. So it was very tough. Uh, we had to make decisions whether we wanted to lose money on, on shipping pigs out or, or, or euthanizing them. And we chose to lose money uh, for uh, quite a, quite a long time. So it was a, it was a challenge. Was it heartbreaking to kind of lose that? Now, when you say lose a farm, were you bought out or what would happen to a farm? Um, I mean, there was the route of bankruptcy. My dad had yep. too much, um, had too much pride to, yes. um, to, to, to yes. go that route. So he just decided to just, continue to work now and truck and to get get through that but um yeah but no the barns closed and um he's a very he's a fun businessman so he's got some ideas i think of what he wants to maybe oh, reopen up in there no but doubt. uh well just the way you approach life this is done hey now we got to deal with it what would you do now how do we solve it how do we move forward what's the next plan is the plan working you seem to have this entrepreneurial verve about you the family does right about We'll figure it out. My brother's like that a lot too. He's had a lot. He's been a consultant and he's had a lot of different jobs. He's had to move and, and keep changing. He bought his own restaurant. Then he moved here and did this. and that. So I have nothing but admiration for people who work through these kinds of scenarios and keep their happiness inside of it. Is a certain kind of, do you feel like you're a happy person? Yeah, absolutely. Like if you're not happy, then what's the point of living? <laughs> That's... I know, I know. But some people might look at your stuff and say, oh, I lost that. It didn't work. You know what I mean? Oh, but I'll, how do you I'd like view to that? comment on that. That's yeah, um, absolutely. So my father, he got asked many times, um, was it worth it? Whatever. After losing everything, was it worth it? Like to now have to start over again? He said, oh, like, are you kidding me? Like, and, he, and then he asked, he asked uh, us kids the exact same thing. He asked us before he gave us that answer. And we all said, well, I had an amazing childhood. Look at all the things I got to learn, all the fun we got to have. And um, I got to drive a school bus. To sh- That's how we ship our pigs. When I was 12 years old, I got to drive a big stick school bus down the dirt road. Um, I got to be a, a, a doctor. I got to be a nurse. I, had, I was a midwife. I was uh, called a limo driver. We'd, we'd move the bore in, the, in a cart on wheels. So it's like I got to experience like 15 different trades as a little kid. And I got to get good at them and, and, and have pride in it. Like it was, it was an amazing experience. So money at the end of the day just buys things, but we had, we had enough things to, to get by as our kid, as a, as a child. And um, it's about the experiences really to me in life that creates that happiness. And I had a never ending supply of, of super positive experiences and I could never ask for more than that. Oh, Tyrone, you're melting. I'm melting. It's here in my eye. Like I, I, I just love the way you view life and view those moments when other people might look at them as, oh no, what? A, they might go into depression, right? They might be really upset. They might be really sad. You look at it as, what a great experience. What a ride. And that's that's a great way. Hey, you did other things when you're out there because we talked a bit about this too. I've mm-hmm. been a baseball coach for most of my life, and. Uh, 
we had a lot of provincial finals in Altona. They always had the best <laughs> baseball fields. They were always well-groomed. And provincials were held out there mostly because I think he just wanted to beat up on the city kids all the time. <laughs> <laughs> because those Altona teams were always so good. And you said you played a little baseball, right? Yeah, yeah. What I played you... baseball growing up. And did your dad coach as well, too? Was it, was it part of the whole thing? or? Yeah, my dad coached us until high school. Yeah, every okay. every year. That was a fun thing we did together. So what was, was that the big sport you did in your life? How did that influence you, playing baseball and, and, and being part of that team atmosphere? Yeah, um, between baseball and, and hockey are probably the two big um, team sports. And um, definitely, it, it teaches you how to work together. I know that's maybe a cliche answer, but... Uh, um, well, you're a hockey player. That's what it is. You gotta, yeah, you gotta, right. You know, keep your stick on the ice during this interview. It's very important. I would say you, you go through some adverse, uh, ad, uh, adversity. And um, and some maybe some challenges and uh, it teaches you to deal with highs and lows of winning and losing or, or high stress situations and um, and and that adversity and challenges while you're also in the same boat as um, uh, your peers at a young age. I think that I think that develops maybe subconsciously some some skills. Um, yeah, absolutely. But I just also I, just hard work. Oh, absolutely. And because practice, once you yeah. have, and there's a lot of coaches, a lot of a lot of great athletes come out of Altona. That's why whenever mm. we went down there, we were always. I worked hard with my teams in the city, but geez, for whatever reason, we'd be in the middle of a game with Altona. We think we're in it. And then where did they get this left-hander who can throw <laughs> a slider like that? Like, where did they, where did this guy come from? And it always broke our hearts because this guy would just, he wasn't even in the game yet. This yeah. guy was just sitting on the bench, you know, spitting seeds. Drove me nuts. Anyway. Well, I'll good... tell you. Okay, go ahead. I had, um, I don't ever remember the first book I read, but, uh, really but or i guess this is the first book i, I remember reading was a pitching manual i was in grade <laughs> i don't know maybe six and my dad slapped this massive book down and said your alarms aren't as long as your uh, other kids your age you need to learn how to throw junk and we don't want to wreck your arms so you need to learn how to throw it properly and he put a little pile of dirt on the on the on the grass and then i started throwing pitches at the red barn made me do 100 every day and i had to read through this whole massive uh how oh to throw how to so throw what was pitches, your pitch so. then you didn't throw a knuckleball or something did you oh yeah i could throw a yeah i could throw i could throw anything really change really? up curveball knuckleball um yeah splitter it was a lot of fun oh you threw a splitter well you have to have a pretty good arm to throw a splitter though it's 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 more scientific actually when you read those manuals yeah. it's it's actually yeah. wild how scientific your arm angle and release point and uh pressure points are on that baseball to get a good oh my spin gosh, on the you... ball your knowledge is amazing, right? And I, I used to try to show that to kids. I used to get into the science of hitting and about how your angle of your elbow should be and all these people. I used to videotape kids and work with them. And it was funny. Kids want that information. Like mm -hmm. you got when you have coaches who do that with you, they want the information. They're always in the dugout saying, take a video of me, you yeah. know, especially when they're in an 0 for 10 slump. Hey, yeah. we do a video, whatever. <laughs> and there's nothing like an 0 for 10 slump for, yeah. for kids to run to, right? That was good. So did you like hitting, fielding? What was the big piece about that? Did you like the hands-on stuff a little more? Like, did you like that part about baseball and hockey and just the physical part of it? Yeah, I, I like pitching and uh, hitting in baseball because it was the active. Was, I could never sit still as a kid. So that was the <laughs> that was the position that was always the most active. So I like that. So you didn't want to play right field? No, no. <laughs> Nobody, yeah, they'd have to splash one out there for you to get any action, and then you got to wake up. You know, kids always, uh, I, I was one of those guys who would play the right fielder, though, almost on the edge of the infield, like they do now. Yeah. Like, they look really smart when they shift the infields and stuff. I was mm -hmm. doing that 
15, 20 years ago. <laughs> guys would always get mad because they'd slash one through the infield on the right side, and we'd throw them out at first. And this is like 15, 16, 17-year-old baseball. They get really upset. Anyway, you're not supposed to play that way. Oh, anyway, you're out. Say that on the yeah. way back to the dugout. <laughs> Anyway, this is this is some amazing stuff. You're into teaching now. My the last part of this interview is going to be about you talking about teaching where you come out. You're teaching in a school. So what does all of what you've done? How does it measure and connect you to the teaching profession? And why did you think this would be a great way to continue your journey? Well, I might take it back one step, I guess. After 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 high school, I was a cabinet maker, and then um, again, I like that hands-on stuff. And yes. Yes. Uh, then I went into framing, and uh, I, I pushed myself really hard to rise in the ranks uh, in framing, and I be I became a foreman, and I I realized that um, the part of the job that I really liked uh, ended up being the 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 teaching of others, and I got a I good really good opportunity in my last uh, couple years. It was I actually really focused my my abilities on training the actual skills to the workers on the crew, and the other foreman would take more of the layout and just work ahead and get everything prepped, and then I was uh, more technical um, teaching teaching everybody, and that's where I was just having so much fun. And uh, I think I, I realized at some point, um, as I'd never heard of industrial arts growing up in a real community, um, that hey, like I can I can teach. Uh, I can teach full time and take just the aspect that I love about my framing job now, and I can do that as a career. So once I I heard about this opportunity at the at the college and and U of W to to be a shops teacher, I I signed right up, and um, yeah, I haven't looked back since. It's been uh, oh, it's been fantastic. an amazing experience. So are you at the end of it now? Are you finished? Or you have another? I got I got one year left. Um, it's an it's a pretty empty free year, but um, yeah, next year I'm looking to do some subbing. So this really connected to you. I love I love this journey of exploration from a farm where you're hanging out with pigs to actually hanging out with people and just seeing that sense of what connects to you, what sticks to you, what you seem to gravitate toward. Like yours is a very powerful career journey. And as you now, do you want to go back and give back and teach in the rural areas or do you care where you teach shops or, or practical arts? I don't. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to limit myself by saying I won't be back in the city. So I'll, I'll always hold that as an option. But um, I think my my love for the lifestyle uh, in in rural community. I I really. I'd like to see myself back there, but uh, I guess time will tell for sure. Well, it's hard to take the farm out of the farm boy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I mean that with great respect. Yeah. It, it's given you a powerful sensibility and a sensory perception of yourself and what's important to you, what you value and what brings you happiness. So that's amazing stuff. Now, if you're, if you were to talk to a young kid, think of yourself in grade 11, knowing what you know now and part of your journey, what you've been through, what what cheap advice would you give them about their career path and journey? Well, I think one of the big things that I, I've been telling my kids is that you can't always let everybody else tell you what you should do. Starting school, like university or, or, or starting a job in a certain career path, um, that doesn't that doesn't just come because somebody has expectations for you. You have to learn yourself. And once you get to know yourself, that kind of guides you into, into, um, into what was, what's going to make you happy and, and look for the things that you value. Um, if you value relationships, but you're, and you like talking to people face on face, you're an extrovert, but you're going to hide, you're going to sit behind a desk uh, as your job and not talk to anybody. 
um, that might not be the best for you, right? So it's, it's figuring out who you are. And the reality is that doesn't happen overnight. But if you start thinking about it and analyzing it, it'll happen quicker. But um, for me, going into cabinetry and woodworking and then into teaching, I don't feel sad that it, I didn't get into the career right after high school because those experiences gave me very good skills um, that are going to really help me as a, as a teacher uh, and an educator that I don't feel that I would be able to be at the same quality if I didn't take those first years uh, in, the, in working in the field before I went to university. So Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's great. Really, there's no such thing as useless learning, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and, it's just as long as you're learning when in, in any experience that you're in, just take what you can out of it. Well, and it sounds like you're so reflective and you think a lot about what you learn and moving forward and and you're you started connecting your dots, but you've collected so many dots. That's what we talk about. You got to collect them first and then you can connect them. And when you collect them and reflect on them, the connecting's a little easier. So, you think you're in the right path? You think you're in the right space right now? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I've uh, I've never felt more sure than after this practicum with these students. The relationships I've been able to make here have uh it may, I've, I've had so much fun and it makes me feel so good to, to feel um, worthwhile here. And it's been amazing. Oh, good for you, man. Hey, Akira, what do you think of this story? Honestly, um, it's weird because I was trying to make like a connection here. I was trying to like, there's something that I got like reminded of um, when you were saying when you were on the farm and like, if you had a question about how to do something and your dad would say like, okay, go for it. And then like, he would learn if it was the right way or the wrong way. And then also that you're a shops teacher. I had a shops teacher once that, uh, my woods teacher at Winter Park, actually, Mr. LaFrance, he, uh, he was kind of interesting the way that he taught us stuff. Like he would teach it to us. And then he say, if you find a better way of doing it and you can prove that it's the right way and it's the safe way, like all like go ahead. But it's, it's that part of like being able to, I guess, try to learn something on your own and not just being limited to what the teachers are trying to teach you. I think it's important because when you learn something on your own, it, it kind of sticks with you more than when they're telling it to you and you're memorizing it and you're just repeating it. Thank you, Akira. I would like yeah. to also respond to that. I think adults sometimes forget that how bad it feels to just be told something all the time. Like everybody wants that independence and autonomy. It, if you're a person who tells somebody what to do, you probably hate being told what to do. So it feels good for a student to be able to be given a choice and some, um, you know, it, it develops. I don't know what the describing word I'm looking for here is, but just some, some sense of uh, accomplishment or independence, yeah, pride. And yeah, and, and ownership, right? When students yeah. take ownership of things and, and they're given some choice in the ownership, they, they connect to it strongly. Right? Yeah, exactly. All right. Akira, that was astute. Good for you. And you picked out a, a really neat part of this. I just about that sense of that journey and how important all all the pieces are really resonates with me about trying different things and 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 enjoying them for what they are, their experiences. Do you have you felt you stepped out of your boundaries a lot? Oh, you know, out of your boundary and your safety zones a lot. Is that important huh. to you as well? Oh yeah, I've been um, very uncomfortable and very stressed. <laughs> I die stress situations a lot in my life, and I've it's uh, I'm looking forward to those maybe minimizing a little bit in the future. But uh, but those are that's where you learn, I guess, right? You know what, Tyrone? This has been a great interview. You're a thoughtful, intelligent guy. I'd be I, I'd say this with great sincerity. Any student's going to enjoy working with you based on your attitude, what you bring to the table. And I think your ability to relate, and you better tell them some of these stories. You better <laughs> well, share some of these you. stories. Thank you. Yeah, because they're, 
they're awesome stories for kids. Kids love to hear stories. I think people like to hear stories. And I think everyone's got a narrative that is so compelling. Once they start and learn how to tell it, I just think yours is inspirational. So I thank you for this. Can I give uh, one more little piece of advice? Yes, I, I thought of something. So yes. as a student, everybody has value. And like like that experience um, that I, I talked about in the barn, it, it takes you, it might take you a while to find it. And it might be hard to find. And just because others don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And once you uh, get out um, and you get a few more experiences, it'll be easier to find. But have confidence in yourself and know that you're that you're that you have a lot of worth too. Um, even I if like other that. people haven't been telling you that, that doesn't that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, the importance of trusting yourself yeah. and and to and to appreciate that whatever the experience is, I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to be stronger because of it. But yeah, trusting don't, yourself don't is be afraid really to change. Yes. Hey, change yes. and growth. I've, I've I've heard so many people say like, accept me for who I am, and that's good in an avenue in a way, but it also is important that. You should want to, everybody should want to uh, strive to be better and yeah. make a better world. So keep, keep pushing to, uh, to grow and, and to enjoy those, those moments of, of change and, and new knowledge. So, all right. I tried to end it, but no, you had to, sorry, end. sorry. An, an extra <laughs> level of inspiration. Thank you. No, it's great. That was great. But we now have to end it, Yeah. but we could talk more. This has been a great, uh, a great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know how busy you are. Because you're in the middle of a lot of stuff right now. You you communicated some of it to me. And uh, I really appreciate being part of this, our last episode of the season, season two of Adventures in Careerland. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in and watching. Well, you can't watch it. Sometimes we do video. We haven't been doing it this year. And listening to our podcast, uh, we, are, we will do season three next year. We'll come up and do another season starting in uh, September, October, in the fall sometime. But for now... Tyrone, thanks so much for doing this. Much appreciated, sir. Thank you very much for having me. Great experience. Oh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. And Akira, thanks for being a part of this in our uh, second season. Uh, thank you. And I wanted to thank Tyrone for coming here and talking to us about his journey and like his how would he learn this story. I really appreciate it. Thanks, good Akira. And I'll say to everyone else, thanks for being a listener and be safe. We're still we're still thinking about this COVID thing. Be safe, everyone. And that's it for our season finale of season two of Adventures in Careerland. Have a great day and be safe, everyone. Bye-bye.